0: Charles Blue with the Association for Psychological Science. Today, I'm talking with Tekla Morgenroth with the University of Exeter, where they study a range of issues related to social hierarchies and categories, stereotypes, gender in the workplace, the gender-sex binary, and a host of other topics. Welcome to Under the Cortex.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here and talk to you about all the cool things about gender, and not-so-cool things about gender, too, I guess. <laughs>
0: So there's issues of gender equality, inclusion, transgender rights that have gotten a lot of attention in the public and are now part of the political debate. Uh, This includes laws restricting who can use which bathrooms and who has a right to compete on certain sports teams. And this is relevant even with the Olympics. So really to start with, can you just explain what is a useful definition of gender?
1: So that's a really good question. And I think there's like a lot of confusion there and that's kind of interesting. So originally when people sort of started making the distinction between gender and sex, what they were meaning by the word gender was kind of the cultural interpretation of sex. So what does it mean to be a man or a woman in a society? So kind of what are the roles associated with that? What are the stereotypes associated with that? But today, really when people say gender, what they refer to is more gender identity. So um, how do people see themselves? How do they feel in terms? terms of them belonging to the two main categories of men and women, or also how do they feel about themselves, maybe in terms of being non-binary. So these are really two different definitions of gender, and I think they're both useful. I think it's just important to be clear about what you mean when you say gender.
0: So there are multiple definitions. Are there prevalent misconceptions out there that are particularly important, particularly common?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many. (laughs) I think there's like more misconceptions in my mind than right ways of thinking about these. One of the main ones is I think that people often conflate gender and sex. So sex is kind of your anatomy and how you were born and the sex assigned at birth. So the kind of biological things, the cells that you have in your body, your genitals, your hormones, those kinds of things. And then there's gender and people often use these interchangeably and think it's kind of the same thing. But of course they're not. We know that there are people for whom Their gender identity does not um, match their sex assigned at birth. We also know that there's plenty of people whose gender identity does match their sex assigned at birth, but their gender role doesn't match those because, for example, they are women in leadership or stay-at-home dads. So in our minds, all these things are so closely tied, and culturally we perceive them as binary and oppositional two categories where all these things go together, gender roles and sex and gender identity, when in reality those are things that can be completely independent, and none of them are really clear two binary categories, not even sex.
0: I can't imagine what it must be like having to listen to news reports or to go out in public and to see who you are as a political football or even a target of consternation, abuse, um, negative reactions. Have you had to deal with that? Have you seen this in action? And can you give me any guidance on how it's actually impacting people on the individual level?
1: So, On the individual level, I mean, we know that people who experience stigma and who experience marginalization of their group or negative reactions towards their group, uh, discrimination, prejudice, we know that this has massive impacts on health, on mental health, on their feelings of belonging. And we know, for example, that transgender people and especially transgender youth, how many of them um, suffer from depression, anxiety, and also suicide attempts are much higher than in most other populations. So it's extremely, extremely problematic. And that, um, of course, is exacerbated when they don't have a support network, when they don't have support from their families. It has very real consequences. It's not just like, oh, I can't go to the bathroom that I want to go to, Um, it denies their identity. And we know that identity denial um, in all kinds of different areas, not just for gender, but also when, for example, people of color have their American identity questioned. We know that all these forms of identity denial are really problematic and uh, lead to stress, lead to lower well-being, mental health issues, also physical health issues. So these have like very real consequences for the targets of the stigma and discrimination. And sometimes I kind of hear people say this impacts so few people. Why is this even important? Why do we need to have these discussions? Um, but it's really impacting everyone. Like everyone has some kind of gender identity and is impacted by the gender binary. So the idea that this is really just a small number of people who are affected by this is just bullshit, in my opinion. So it affects a lot of people and it affects them in lots of different ways. So one thing that these changes have kind of brought, which is really cool, is that there is a much more fluid understanding of gender, especially among young people. So if you look at the number of young people who now identify as non-binary or trans, they're like much higher than in previous generations. And it's not the case that now suddenly everyone is confused and there's this trans pandemic that is taking over all the kids and it's terrible. It's just because there's more understanding and more acceptance of these identities. And so people feel more comfortable being themselves and actually being like, hey, this category that I was put into when I was an infant is actually not, doesn't really fit with how I see myself. And I think that's great. But as you say, at the same time, there's this massive backlash against that and very vocal voices Interestingly, from like very different groups as well, like you have like these conservative Christian groups who you would think might be the people who are against those kinds of changes. But then you have also like um, feminists who are also very strongly against those um, changes. And that kind of shows that this is really a topic that, I don't know, is really threatening to people um, and really somehow like threatens like a core belief they have about themselves and the world and how the world works. And I think that's where that um, backlash is coming from. And of course that backlash is really problematic and is really negatively affecting people who who are trans, who are non-binary, who are gender non-conforming and in particular kids who are really vulnerable and um, where that can be really scary. Um, So these reactions to that have very real consequences for people who are already very marginalized in society.
0: So you mentioned it's more accepted among younger generations. Do you have any more insights into that? Is this quantifiable or is it just something that you seem to be noticing in your interactions with your research?
1: I guess both. So I definitely notice it just like from anecdotal, like from interacting with people, like even me interacting with my undergraduate students, they already like in my student evaluations, they all use the right pronouns. If I talk to older colleagues who are very much like progressive, very educated people, They're not so good. So, I can definitely just notice that just from my everyday experiences. Um, But we also see that in our data. So, for example, in one big project that we have running at the moment, we're looking at different groups of feminists and their views and how they differ from each other. And what we see there is that there is a huge um, shift between generations. So, among feminists who are kind of in their mid 40s and older, Of course, not all of them, but there are some groups that are very strongly anti-trans and who think that trans women aren't women. It's really problematic if a trans woman calls herself a lesbian. Um, Non-binary identities are not valid. Um, So those kinds of beliefs are pretty common among that generation. We hardly see any of that in the younger generation of feminists in particular. Of course, this is always an average. So, of course, there are some younger people who will also have these beliefs, and there's older people who don't have these beliefs. But there is definitely a generational difference, I would say.
0: I'd like to take a moment and delve a little bit into the research you're currently doing. It's really wide ranging among these topics. So what is it that you don't know that you really want to find out?
1: I think the main thing I'm trying to really understand is what are the psychological processes that lead to these negative reactions to um, trans-inclusive policies, to changes in how we see gender? What is driving this? Because to me, it's just a mystery, a complete mystery. Because to me, the gender roles that we have, the gender system that we have right now, the binary system of there's men, there's women, and men are the breadwinners, women are the caretakers and uh, women look like this and men look like this. This is restricting to everybody, not just to trans and non-binary people. This is restricting to even to the people who benefit from the system the most, which are heterosexual men. They can't express their emotions. There's all kinds of rules of what a real man is like. So everyone is like negatively affected by this, yet there is so much backlash to these changes which I really want to understand and for that I'm kind of looking at various psychological mechanisms kind of the benefits that the system provides the psychological benefits such as getting a sense of who you are and who you're not um, maybe state status or like status within a group or just kind of a way to process a very complex world um, and kind of having shortcuts of knowing how things work that's the I guess broadest question that I'm interested in at the moment.
0: One of the things that surprises me is the passion that people speak out against this when legitimately it has no impact on their daily life. Yet it seems one of the most distinctive identities for them is to come out against equality and trans rights. What is happening inside the mind that causes that extreme backlash to something that has no impact on their daily life?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's kind of interesting here, like in one of our projects, we distinguish between what people say, why they care so much about this and what is actually going on like in their minds. The things that people often say is that it's about safety and in particular about women's safety. So the idea often is that women need safe spaces um, where they are safe from male violence. And of course, women should be safe from male violence. So on the surface, that seems like a kind of legit argument, right? But then if you look at the actual data, this isn't true. So what is actually happening is that most gender-based violence happens by people known to the victim in private spaces, not in like public bathrooms or changing rooms or any of these spaces where this is often debated. So we were wondering in this project, are people just not aware of that? Is that legitimately what is driving the opposition? So we put everything in a model and look at, okay, what is actually um, correlated with um, opposition to trans-inclusive policies. But what we find is that it's really not. So concerns about male violence are completely unrelated to opposition to trans-inclusive policies. And instead, it's just kind of prejudice. It's just like negative attitudes towards trans people that is driving this opposition, if you actually look at it. Of course, this like negative attitudes is very broad. What does this actually mean? And why do they have these negative attitudes? Again, is a different question. But what we can see here already is that it's not enough to just look at the discourse and what people are saying, and that's not really what needs to be addressed, because that's not going to lead anywhere, because it's not concerns about male violence or women's safety. That just seems to be like a convenient way to phrase things to like hide the real reasons that people have.
0: Certainly, if people were genuinely concerned about male violence, there are far more effective Programs and policies and changes that need to take place to really have an impact on that rather than, as we say, the scapegoat for what seems to be a a prejudice attitude.
1: Absolutely. And it also just like, from no standpoint does this make sense. So it's really, it seems to be that something else is going on. And I think one of the main things that is going on is that gender is just an identity that's really important to people. A lot of people care a lot about their gender. And what that says about them and what that says about others, often women and men are in uh, heterosexual romantic relationships. So it structures those relationships. So it's something that like gives a lot of meaning and helps us navigate a really complex world and just like have shortcuts of like, oh, this is how this is going to work. This is what this person is going to be like. And so if you kind of change the meaning of those categories or even try to abolish the categories altogether, that's really scary because suddenly your whole worldview is being questioned. Even if like a trans woman going to the women's bathroom itself will not really impact you very much, but gender as a system changing could potentially impact you a lot.
0: Well, that's a final question for you. And this may be a bigger issue than we can discuss in a podcast, but suppose there were a transgender teen girl in an audience that is debating her right to use the restroom of her gender at a high school and around her are surrounded people who are being very vocal in opposition. What are the recommendations you would make to people trying to live in this environment who are just trying to be true to their gender expression?
1: What I would say, especially to transgender youth um, who are maybe have less control over what environment they want to be in and like don't necessarily have the option to just like quit their job and go to a different company or move to a different state or move to the city or something. I think for them it's just find people you trust and make sure you're safe and know that it gets better. And I think like that's horrible advice. I wish I could say something like, oh, you should just do this thing and it will solve all the problems. But I mean, unfortunately, that's not really how it works. But the internet's great and there's lots of people out there and there's lots of support groups. And that's, I think, one of the really cool things about the internet is that even if you are a transgender boy or girl in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky you can still go online and find those people and find um, community and find strategies that have worked for other people who have been in similar situations to you.
0: Wonderful advice. Well, I'd like to thank you for your time. This has been Charles Blue with the Association for Psychological Science. And I have been speaking with Tekla Morgenröck with the University of Exeter. Thank you very much for chatting today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Under the Cortex is a production of the Association for Psychological Science, which is dedicated to advancing scientific psychology across disciplinary and geographic borders.